Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Uh, today, we're joined by Julie Starovoitova from Papercut. Uh, she is the People Experience Lead, and today we're going to be talking all about people and culture, what drives a high-performance team, and how you might start to action that in your business, in your startup, or around your collective teams that you're building at the moment. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew and Anthony. Great to be here. Yeah, really. Great to have you on. Now, Julie, first and foremost, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came about into the role at uh, Papercut. Alrighty, let's see. Where do I start? Uh, so, my um, my background was actually initially in uh, marketing, uh, which uh, I, I feel like really helps me in uh, in the people experience side of things. Uh, to be honest. Um, but uh, I initially started my career in recruiting um, and sort of focused really on the talent acquisition side of things, uh, then moved more into employer branding and um, also uh, had quite a strong focus on, on diversity as well. And then when I joined Papercut, uh, that's been quite uh, an exciting uh, journey, I guess, uh, when you're part of the business that's growing quite quite quickly. So I joined um just over four years ago now, and since then, uh, I guess, did quite a bunch of different things, um, uh, supporting different areas of the business from a people experience perspective, our uh, global teams, uh, kind of witnessing the growth from, uh, I think when I joined, we were about 90 people, uh, primarily in Melbourne and uh, U.S., uh, and now we're about 230. I uh, also have um, office in UK. We've got people now in Singapore, uh, in New Zealand, and uh, other uh, areas of Australia as well. So uh, you know, it's been it's been quite a really interesting ride to see the business transform and grow. And um, currently, my role is a people experience lead, and I primarily focus on looking after our product development um, in in Papercut from that people people perspective. So over four years, what has been um, the biggest thing you had to keep control of, of of such a growing team? So that is it's growing quite quickly. So what are some of the key things being a part of that people experience lead that you had to um, sort of hone in on, focus on? I think that's probably what a lot of um, I'll say startups. Even though Papercut is not actually a startup, it took it quite a long time. I guess it was relatively small for a while, and then grew quite quickly over the last few years. Uh, but that is something that I think every scaling business often has as a challenge, especially when it's, you know, that founder-led organization. You've got small number of people. Everybody has the same context, uh, really kind of that very shared understanding, very distinct culture. And as you start growing quite quickly, uh, you know, there's always this concern around how do you not just maintain the culture, but evolve it and, and uh, you know, I guess kind of grow as a business as well and, and also um, adapt and uh, make sure that you're still able to retain that nimbleness and uh, kind of respond to the market quick, mm. uh, quickly, have that secret sauce that helps you get to that point of being successful, but actually realizing that you can't really do that in the same way when you suddenly have so many more people, you know, you also add all the time zones to it, um, you know, quite quick growth. And, and and I guess that that aspect has been something that's been really front of mind, you know, not only for our people experience, uh, but, you know, for our founders and, and um, basically, I guess, everybody and all the leaders in the business, but maintaining uh, and evolving how we operate, being more effective as we scale, uh, trying to find that right balance between adding structure uh, versus kind of the fluidity and you know the flexibility that you have and all, but at the same time not trying to over engineer it um, as well. Um, I guess all all these sort of sort of components uh, have been <laughs> some of the key key areas of focus. It's definitely did you find. Fun. I was gonna say, yeah. did you find from um, coming out of like last year that you got you had the right setup and structures to be able to say work from home and remotely, or was that like an accelerated phase where you had to figure things out quickly to get of uh, work with through everything like everyone else did? Look, we definitely were quite fortunate. And I guess probably a lot of tech companies were in that same position. We were able to sort of switch in a, in a day mm. um, because, you know, we obviously already had all sort of remote tools and, you know, G Suite, like in terms of from a practical perspective, mm -hmm. uh, that was relatively easy. We actually found um, a number of benefits for our 
uh, remote employees. We always had a smaller portion of our workforce remote. And I think for them, uh, that actually was really awesome because suddenly all the conversations were happening, uh, you know, on Slack or asynchronously. And, you know, that was um, and also for our teams in other time zones. I think that sort of helped. Uh, but look, at the same time, we still we still had uh, some challenges. I'm not going to say that it was complete smooth sailing, I guess, like for everyone, plus especially given we all had to deal with uh, pandemic, people having kids at home, like all of these other additional um, circumstances. Yeah. But look, it, yeah, it helped, I think, also because we had to implement quite a lot of different practices a few years ago, especially once we opened the UK office, because with our um, office in the US and um, here in Australia, we had some uh, crossover in time zones and things. So we were kind of still were able to be quite fluid. But once we had a time zone that sort of never really yeah, came uh, into context, correct. Yeah, we had hard. to do we had to do a lot more around working asynchronously, you know, I guess, documenting things. And again, not to say that it was perfect, but we sort of were, I guess, set up to some to some level there. So we were quite surprised in terms of how well we adapted and, and how, um, you know, I guess, productive and, and how much people were still be able to to work really well, I guess, uh, considering also all the other anxieties and worries that were happening at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. And obviously, during that time, managing team was one of the um, the, the challenges. We didn't have that face-to-face connection. Um, how did you go about managing team and working with team and basically helping them to continue that high performance? We'll dig into what you've done uh, through Papercut in terms of high performance. But yeah, during COVID, what were some mm-hmm. of the things in terms of managing team that you implemented? That's such a good question. And, you know, I guess like everybody will be sort of learning on the fly and uh, trying lots of different things. Mm. I guess one of the key things that is a, a really big focus for us, both in our people experience team and, and I guess mm-hmm. in Papercut in general, trying to position everything that we're doing as an experiment and sort of learning from it and adapting and shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few of the key things that we did um, were, well, firstly, we really uh, tried to focus um a lot on supporting the team. So we, we uh, came out straight away and, and, and were very explicit around making sure that people know that they have the flexibility to work whatever schedules they need. We introduced a special COVID leave policy um, that, you know, if anybody got impacted in any way, not just, you know, getting sick, but, uh, but you know, if they didn't have any sort of childcare support and they had to look after their kids that they had additional leave that they could take without necessarily worrying about uh, you know what um, I guess what happens from that work perspective we introduced quite a lot of um, social uh, social we tried to introduce quite a lot of different social things you know we already had um, a coffee buddies channel on slack where there's a donut mm-hmm. thing that pairs you with different people um, we uh, had um, we invited a few uh, specialists and um, I guess experts in the field of resilience and we did a few talks to help support our people. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find a balance also, you know, we had things like virtual drinks on Friday and virtual brekkies on, on uh, you know, which we kind of used to do face to face, but it was quite interesting to try and find that balance uh, between um, c- trying to maintain that connection, but also, you know, the, the video call fatigue was, you know, it's a real thing. It is and a real thing. at some point, you kind of try to balance, like, how do you still uh, connect and have those chit-chat mm. conversations, but also know that sometimes people just need to have a break. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, it kind of went in waves, I think. Initially, everybody was so excited. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of engagement around those things. And then, uh, I guess, over time, and especially as we were all going through sort of roller coaster of emotions, Yes. Um, then there probably was a bit of a slump, but you know we we uh, really tried, I guess, to focus on these uh, on that support element and mm-hmm. really uh, helping people to feel like okay, you know, work is work, and of course it's important, mm-hmm. but your well-being is the most important thing. And uh, I guess you know we were doing every few months we were doing check-in surveys to see they had a really big focus on well-being, the workload, how people are finding, do they feel supported, learning from these, um, you know, from these findings, um, targeting particular teams if there were any specific ones that were sort of more under pressure than others, and then tailoring what we're really doing and approaching mm-hmm. approaching there. Yeah, I think back to the time when COVID hit and we all got at home. We all had a similar position, tech business. Um, 
had the tools, but also evolved the tools as well during, because what mm-hmm. works, what didn't, and evolved with it. But um, one thing you mentioned there was the meetings, and I think we all, <laughs> I think I've, everyone I spoke to just um, pretty much overkilled in terms of meetings and just yeah. spent a lot of time in screen space. Um, mm-hmm. We had a lot of catch-ups early days, but then we had to find a balance, and I think it just worked itself out over time, but you just tried. You don't know because it was very unknown for everybody to be working remotely. Mm-hmm. We had one employee that worked remotely, um, um, not oh no, I had a few a few overseas oh, one as well. Was, yeah, yes. three days yes. over, you know, remote, two days yes. in the office. But everyone yeah. had the ability to work from home at any point in time. Yeah, but then everyone. I was the first one to say I'm, I'm working yeah. from home from now on <laughs> until this is over. Yeah, and it's, yeah. yeah, still working from home now. So it's <laughs> it's been a very different uh, year for everybody. So I think so it's different. Yes, and all, yeah. when when change comes, we're all learning. Right, so we don't know. We're just grappling with what what works and what doesn't, and I think that's the reality. Yeah, really. the Zoom exactly. fatigue was the hardest thing to learn. Was don't set back to back meetings for an entire uh, day. Yeah, <laughs> so you really, can't even really. have a break to get water, or yeah. just not realizing that. Yeah, you used to drive to meetings and had all right, half an hour, forty five minutes in between every meeting, mm-hmm. potentially, or an hour. So changing that, and going, oh, I can put another meeting in there because I don't have to drive anywhere. But you don't know what that means until. A few months after the fact, and you go, no, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting, yeah. And, yeah. you know, one thing we also try to really encourage folks is to see if, you know, in some meetings you can, if you can have a walking meeting, just grab your phone and, like, go for a walk and, and mm. do things like that. But we had a really interesting thing as well where we've had quite a few folks who, when we just transitioned, were really um, – we were really disliking the work from home thing because, you know, we were sort of the same. We always had the flexibility to work from home, but we had quite a lot of folks who really preferred to come to the office every day. And when they were forced to do that at the beginning, uh, they were like, I oh, can't wait to go back to the office. And of course, nobody sort of thought that it was going to go for that long. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that then a few months down the track, uh, so many of uh, our people who I spoke to, they, they actually found their groove and they're like, oh, I don't think I will ever go back to working five days a week at all. And it was such an interesting shift from some of these individuals who were so against it and literally only tried it because they were forced to so then seeing the benefits and sort of finding the balance and then seeing, oh, actually, I would really like that and I can see how it can work really flexibly mm-hmm. for me and, you know, all of these uh, different things. So, yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been quite an interesting – I think lots of people learned a lot about themselves as well uh, you know, mm-hmm. during this time. I think, yeah, we had a change like that with Andrew. After we got rid of our office in July, yes. the next couple of months, is like, yeah, we'll need another small office at some point. We need a small office. And now he's like, no, we don't need an office at all. Yeah. He's <laughs> just realized you don't need yeah. this space. Yeah. I think um, – I'm sort of coming around that, yeah, having a, a face-to-face catch-up every once in a while and having a, a space to go to for a day or two might be an option. But, yeah, I don't think you need to be working out of it day-to-day. I find... Um, Depending on your, yeah. your, your job. And yeah. Like, like you said, um, Julie, we're in the tech space. It's different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Majority of our work is online on the computer. Mm. Yeah, so it depends yeah. on the role of the person. Um, yeah. So we've got developers in the team. They're going to be on the computer all day any, either way. Um, when you're meeting people online, like, in this environment, um, I think it does still get more fatigue if you're in that sort of role. And I think that there's a balance there um, with that face-to-face and then obviously online. I think, yeah, to break away from a screen is good. I, uh, I was in, um, I was on the Gold Coast at a conference uh, for a couple of days and it was just sort of calming on the on your eyes and because you're just seeing a yeah. bit more of the world and you're not just staring at, at a flat screen and you're just meeting people and it's different conversations. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a very different thing. Agreed. It's a bit more personable. So, yeah, there's, there's a balance there. Yeah, how we're approaching it right now and, you know, we're not looking to get rid of uh, our uh, office space and we also, part of our software is, is um, uh, has an embedded component so there's still a testing on, on the devices mm-hmm. and things like that as well. Yes. Uh, but we, uh, we'll, I guess like many businesses, we've got a hybrid model now and, and what we're really talking to our teams about that it we really should organize our work and where we work context dependent. So mm-hmm. essentially... When you, uh, you know, again, you're an engineer, you, if you've got uh, a really challenging problem that you're sitting there trying to really sort out, you know, sometimes it actually might be beneficial for you to get in a room with a few others and do the whole uh, brainstorming and problem solving together versus uh, at some point you just need to get in and get some headspace, equally some workshops, like if there's a team thing, uh, there is still uh, an element where you need to invest in that uh, face-to-face time. Mm-hmm. Even companies who've always been, 
uh, remote, uh, you know, your buffers and all those. Uh, they always talked about um, doing at least twice a year those retreats where they'll still get together and have some face-to-face connection. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, completely um, not having that is you know, is tricky. And, and I feel like for us, when for the whole year, we weren't really able to see each other almost to a degree a little bit maybe of kind of you burning that social capital that you've built up <laughs> for a while so yes. now we're just trying to shift to when when it makes sense uh come mm-hmm. and, and and spend time together when it makes sense uh you know work yep. uh work uh on your on your own but it was you know we onboarded quite a few new people during that time as well mm-hmm. and that was a whole new uh kind of game in itself as well where uh, with new starters not having the context and, and kind of trying to uh, get to know the business, the people and everything. And, and I think for them that was way harder than if they uh, uh, if they sort of were able to do that face to face. So let's um, let's dig in on high performance team culture. What does that mean to you, Julie? Um, so in terms of how, what does it mean and how do you mould that in an organisation? Oh, what a big question. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, I guess um, if I was to sort of try and guess, summarize it, uh, you know, high performing culture is a culture where you've got um, highly engaged uh, teams that are working well together to um, achieve an outcome. So, uh, you know, there is uh, that balance, I guess, between uh, the performance and actually getting stuff done and, and, and being, you know, uh, leading to the business being successful and getting the uh, good, excellent product out to, to the market and to the customers. But then there's also that element of uh, they're, they're being challenged, uh, they're growing, they work well together as a team. It's not uh, an environment where I guess people just come in and have to drive really hard, but they're sort of hating every, every minute of it. So there is that balance of um, the um, environment and the culture and also the output because I guess that's also important you don't necessarily just want to create a culture for the sake of culture because at the end of the day we're all here for a particular purpose um, you know and it's um, for us to be there for our customers in terms of um, people obviously that's your main role in the business so in terms of your role over the past four years what are some of the things that you've implemented to just to help support the people and the culture and what's some of the obviously you've seen growth so some of the things you've been doing has been working quite well one would imagine um, in terms of what's happening in terms of in the business but and driving innovation in the business etc so what are some of the key things that you've you've seen change over your time being there and what's been implemented um yeah that's that's a really good question and i guess i do want to start with uh the fact that uh, i guess even when uh, i joined and uh, you know the rest of the people experience team was was forming um we already came into um a business that already had a quite a strong high performing culture people really enjoyed working at papercut and i think a lot of it is is down to our founders and their passion and also a real focus on um, uh, serving the customers, but also one of the reasons, I guess, why they uh, created Papercut was to have an, a company where they themselves love to work in. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is kind of really, uh, was really well felt. So one of the things that was a really important thing for us is to make sure I, that I guess we don't, we don't lose, we don't lose that and, and, and sort of continue uh, evolving that. In terms of some of the things, um, one of the challenges that we've, and uh, I, I guess I start with a challenge to then mm-hmm. explain a little bit what we did to overcome that. Uh, one of the challenges that came with that growth were, um, well, firstly, I guess we started to notice that we were losing that nimbleness and mm-hmm. things were starting to take uh, much longer. It was harder to respond. Um, it was um, uh I guess we were starting to feel like uh, there's just not necessarily the clarity of uh, who to go to for what. Uh, people didn't necessarily have the context and and things like that. And then again, if you also take into account the time zones, different regions, different complexities and all of it, that sort of kind of all mm-hmm. got um, amplified quite a lot. Um, it's also when you add a lot of new people, it's quite easy to sort of dilute the core um uh, I've used that word secret sauce before, but I guess the core principles and how you want to operate, right? Because there are a lot of ways of how 
a business can be successful. You know, you can take a, I don't know, a traditional bank and they in, in sort of traditional measures of success would be, you know, uh, very profitable and, and uh, you know, the way they operate um, kind of, I guess, delivers to the outcomes that they're trying to achieve. Uh, but at the same time, say for us at Papercut, that's not the way how we wanted to operate. We really wanted to maintain that nimbleness, that flexibility, kind of that speed um, and, and all those things. So, and, you know, I do want to add kind of, I guess, a bit of a caveat there that uh, although we've implemented a lot of things, by no means we're a perfect work environment. <laughs> we still have yes. challenges. And of course, there's always uh, new things uh, coming coming up and new challenges. And there's always opportunity for us to make things a lot better but some of the things i guess that have really helped us and we're we're still on that transformation right now to be honest but we um went through quite a big uh, sort of i guess reorganization uh in in the company and we started with product development and, mm -hmm. and doing that now across the rest of the company where we really shifted from static teams that had a very uh kind of i guess um uh, set structure to really forming uh, flexible teams around the opportunities and initiatives that um, that we identify. So making sure that we've got the right people working on the right things at the right time is sort of, I guess, the the core concept idea of that. Um, and that flexibility um, is something that we felt will help us to respond quicker, to be mm -hmm. more flexible, but also really importantly and quite interestingly. We just recently did a survey um, uh, around sort of growth uh, and development for our people and, and being able to work in different initiatives and different teams and move quite flexibly around different parts of the business and different parts of the product has been one of the things that people said been the biggest contributor to their growth. So we can see that that's something that people appreciate as well. Uh, we... Um, also made sure we really needed to make sure that people have that support as well right especially mm -hmm. when it's a flexible structure you don't necessarily have that um hierarchy that people are used to in uh i guess very traditional work environments uh so we've implemented a coaching program at Papercut. so every uh, paper cutter has um access to a development coach and that coach is there to help support their growth their development uh make sure that um, there is someone who um, is working with you to create your growth plan. And uh, we're, again, not very traditional in terms of um, our career progression structures either. Either I guess it's not necessarily a career ladder, more like a career climbing wall where you can, you know, move into different mm -hmm. directions because, again, not everybody wants to climb up. You've got all these different areas. Some people want to go on the technical path. Someone wants to, I guess, do more of a lead type role, um, you know, in all these different areas. So there's that coaching coaching component. That's, that's one thing that struck me as interesting when we caught up on a call about the coaching component. Um, I th investing in team is is um, quite pivotal to growth and I think we're where any business is only good as the people that are in the business um, and are serving the customers and innovating the business and evolving the business. Um, how? Let's dig in a bit on that. How have you found that process? Because I imagine that's not just about career. Is that more beyond that? Is that also about where they are personally, where they want to be, et cetera? Is that how that sits and how does that operate? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, it's very holistic, 100%. And, you know, I guess one of those things as well is we can't really separate ourselves kind of, there's not really a work persona mm -hmm. and then, you know, a life persona. So all these things are really yes. interconnected. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's been something that, you know, and, and I guess we're really proud of, of our coaching program and that's something that we've invested in quite heavily over the last few years and um, in terms of how we went about it you know traditionally it's usually only the executives and the most mm -hmm. senior people in the business who have access to a coach and I guess initially that's sort of how we started uh, with as well uh, but then um, essentially what we did we created our own paper cut coaching um, coaching program so we've engaged with um the executive coaches that we've partnered with on the coaching mm -hmm. aspect, and they helped us create a coaching training program. So then mm -hmm. we uh, opened up uh, applications internally for our people. And, you know, we've got a lot of really great um, leaders in the business and people who already had quite strong coaching capability who, um, for example, and maybe you'd have someone who was a really strong people leader, but they mm -hmm. would be really limited to only 
using that coaching uh, capability for their own particular small team and where you're able to actually give them the opportunity to maybe uh, help um, other people in other areas of the business. You sort of amplify and help that person do what they really uh, love Mm. doing and also get other people benefit from it. So essentially we had an application uh, Mm -hmm. process. So not everybody who applied to be a paper cut coach was successful and there were a number of uh, questions and criteria that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people who were successful, we then took them through a training uh, program that um, we've designed and co-created uh, with our executive coaches. We've set up uh, a number of levels of that uh, sort of coaching um, progression ladder, I guess, as well. So for those people who've become uh, paper cut coaches, uh, we are all um, part of a coaching yield where we meet every month. We have group coaching sessions. We, uh, I guess, constantly upskill our uh, coaching capability. Um, And uh, for people, once they reach a certain amount of coaching hours and also group coaching hours where they get feedback um, on their coaching skills and capabilities, uh, then uh, they also get to go to a formal uh, coaching training and qualification um, so essentially, we've got now a combination of external coaches and a number of uh, internal coaches in Papercut who are available um, to coach to coach people across the business. Investing in people, um, what in that capacity? You don't hear about it that often. What are some of the key things that you've found from? And I've heard you say, say survey about four or five times. I imagine you've been surveying your your your. <laughs> your your team around this so what are some of the key things and results that you found from that what's the feedback being like that you're investing in not only their career path but also holistically everything else and i think in 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 uh, the times of working at home everything's been squashed into <laughs> into one um yeah so i agree with that mm-hmm. but what are some of the feedback you've had and results from that program we've seen some phenomenal results to be honest and um since we've introduced the program, uh, initially, we just heard a lot of anecdotal feedback and, you know, lots of people kind of saying, oh, this is really helping me. This is great. Really appreciate our coaching program. So grateful that we've got it. Um, but I, to be honest, was a bit nervous because I was thinking, well, okay, this is what, you know, we're hearing this, but is this is this really what's going on? Because we're not really, uh, you know, you don't know exactly what everybody thinks. It's and true. Uh, that, that survey that I mentioned and, and to be honest, that anecdotal data is important, mm-hmm. the kind of conversations and the qualitative, uh, uh, qualitative information is always, it adds really great flavor. But mm-hmm. uh, we really like complementing that with some kind of, I guess, quantitative, more of a at scale um, surveys that really gives you a bit of a snapshot of mm-hmm. where you're at. And um, actually, just in December, we did um, we did a survey. I mentioned that one around growth, and it had a really big coaching component because by that time we had the program for about a year, mm-hmm. so it felt like a long enough time to really kind of get a bit of a sense of where we're at with it. And ninety six percent of our people said that a coaching had a positive impact um, on them personally, and um, there were so many comments within that that. Um, you know how I mentioned earlier that moving to different initiatives and working in different teams and that flexibility has mm. contributed a lot to their growth. The This was shared equally between the coaching program and moving in different initiatives as the two things that people, our people said to us mm-hmm. has helped them the most in terms of their growth, both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had um, a number of, I guess, different questions there, both sort of open-ended uh, where people just shared and again, reference the coaching program quite a lot. Um, and also more of a sort of like a, on a scale, you know, strongly agree to strongly disagree. And we've seen a lot of people um, sharing with us that they have been able to take on more challenges um, and feel more confident in their ability to do so as a result of mm-hmm. having of having a coach. So um, that and and actually also it's quite difficult sometimes to link something directly to something but we've seen quite a lot of our people stepping into initiative lead roles taking on Mm -hmm. sort of new projects and new assignments and whilst i i can't say that it was 100 percent due to the coaching program i think that definitely has played uh played a part in helping our people step up into that yeah it's um it's definitely interesting uh to see 
the one thing you mentioned there was, and one of the key things that you mentioned there, the people were more um, confident to take on more maybe responsibility, more challenging um, tasks. And I think um, within within people, team, I think confidence is a major thing with anything in life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's having a, having a, uh, investing into coaching and um, helping your people um, leverage up and improve their thinking. And it's one thing um, that I find it's all, a lot about mindset. So how does that sort mm-hmm. of stem through through the coaching program and through um, paper cuts um, sort of philosophy in terms of around mindset? You have to help people through their fears or mm. what, what what that thing is that's holding them mm. back. Yeah, um, that, that's such a good such a good question, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, we're at times actually quite often I think we're on uh, our yeah. own worst enemies, <laughs> <We> right? <are. laughs> and we really yeah. uh, doubt ourselves and have these imposter syndromes uh-huh. and and all this. And uh, I guess um, uh, coach, and it was interesting when we initially introduced the coaching program, mm-hmm. there was uh, quite a lot of. Um, hesitation from our people because and especially one of the key feedback pieces there was well how can a coach help me if they say I'm an engineer and a coach is not how can they help me because you know they don't really understand what what I what I do so uh, we had to do quite a lot of um, education within the business around the difference between coaching and and, you know so mentoring which we also now have introduced and um, you know making Mm -hmm. sure that uh, there is that component there as well Mm because that is important because you can't really coach knowledge right Uh, you need you need you need to have that Uh, but in terms of coaching and really helping us um, showcase to people that actually quite often if you have firstly the space mm-hmm. and time for yourself because a lot of the times it's almost like half the battle that we're just so busy and running with our day-to-day things we don't even dedicate that time to kind of stop and reflect mm-hmm. but then second when you've got someone who's always in your corner and who will um, respectfully either challenge you or highlight uh, you know potentially some uh areas that you may not necessarily see about yourself by asking powerful questions and challenging your beliefs and assumptions in some way can really, really unlock that uh, potential and, um, you know, unlock some of that gold that is always, always within us. Um, And I guess over time, what we've noticed is, again, you know, it only took uh, a few people to start doing it. And then, you know, they started sharing their positive experiences and stories. And I mm-hmm. think that has really, um, that has really helped. And the other element, I guess, uh, in addition to that mindset is um, we put quite a strong focus on our company principles. Mm-hmm. And actually, last year, we have um, refreshed them and, you know, sort of looked at them and said, well, are they still, are they still relevant? And, uh We've gone through an exercise where, and again, sort of most of the how we like to do things um, at Papercut is make sure that we co-create things without people. We don't just, you know, like our CEO wouldn't just go away with a few oh, executives and, and sort of come up with something and then like, here you go, these are our new principles or something. You know, we've gone we've gone through a process of getting feedback, engaging with uh, people from all different areas of the business, different levels. Um, uh, obviously got a really good uh, sense from the CEO as well around mm-hmm. what what type of business we really want to be. And, and we came up with uh, two of our principles remained the same. And then we had three new ones. And, you know, some of them really helped reinforce that mindset. For example, one of our principles is anyone can talk to anyone. And it's all about making sure that we're really uh, very upfront and um, explicit with people that we don't want to create that sort of sense of hierarchy or, um, you know, uh, I guess it's not an environment where, oh, well, you don't talk to that person mm. because they work in a different team or they're more senior or whatever. And it's been quite interesting where I've had some of our new starters tell me that it's been really helpful for them to mm-hmm. read and kind of understand. And we obviously have onboarding sessions around them when people join and things like that. But them hearing that was like, oh, okay, that means that's what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's different to how it was where I worked before, but it's good to know. So kind of, I guess, being really explicit mm-hmm. um, around, around that uh, also, I think, really helps to shape that mindset because it, it, it kind of, uh, I guess, creates that shared understanding of this is how we want to operate. And then within that, again, say, through your coaching, uh, you could it can help you overcome where it might be challenging for you for you to do so. 
um, one of our other principles is act fast to learn fast. And again, you know, that could be that could be a bit outside of your comfort zone, right? Because that kind of opens you up to mistakes and mm-hmm. uh, also that speed element we, where I think a lot of us are prone to perfection and wanting to sort of do things until they're perfect to then be like, ta-da, <laughs> this, is, this is what it is. So, uh, you know, I guess working through maybe some level of discomfort and ambiguity that comes from sort of sharing things early and getting that mm-hmm. feedback and all of those things. So I guess all these things sort of working uh, working together really helps shape uh, shape that mindset where you've got that clarity of this is sort of the company you want to be and this is how we want to operate. Uh, here's how we, we support you. Um, and, you know, again, I guess the other component around that is, is, is making sure that you provide people clarity of um, roles and expectations, accountability. Um, and again, you know, not to say that we've got that perfect by any means, but that I guess something that's been a big learning for us as well, that especially as you grow, you can't just throw people and sort of say, hey, like fig- figure this out <laughs> type thing. Not that, not that we've ever done that. Uh, but in terms of, I guess, uh, you do need to add a little bit more of that clarity um, than say maybe, uh, a founder themselves may need because you know mm-hmm. they started from scratch and they they kind of know uh, the business so intimately and they would naturally sort of know what 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 needs to be done and what what holes need to be filled. But helping helping people define um, and it's not necessarily about defining specifically uh, kind of what you can or can't do. That's mm-hmm. not about that because again, you know, I guess we don't really. Uh, want to have a mentality where you can't really, you know, oh, this is not my job type thing. Yeah, that's a limiting um, thought, right? So I think you mentioned about the founder um, and then you take it back to educating people to get out of their comfort zone and helping them do that. So what what I found along the journey and people just interviewing different founders and just being in business is generally the founder just has to act, make the decisions um, and people lean on them especially in the smaller sort of startup to just make the decisions. Um, and they get used to doing that and they get better and better at that. And I think that's just a learnt experience and it's a learnt skill, right? So it's about how do we pass that down to our team to ensure they can also think on the spot and think at a strategic level. It's, it's easier said than done, but it needs to be trained in because you can't really scale off the back of one or two founders making all the decisions. It's really impossible. Hundred percent, and uh, we've we've got that as well. Uh, you know, definitely haven't solved that, and we've got we've got two two founders, mm-hmm. and one of them actually stepped out of uh, being in the business day to day a couple of years ago, and that was quite a really big scary thing for everybody. To be like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, okay, he's still yeah. he's still involved, yes. uh, of course, but sort of not there. You mm-hmm. know, I guess on a, on a daily basis, and that yeah. was, uh, and you, you you saw people step up mm-hmm. um, a lot, but you know, there's still. Uh, there's still a, would be would be mm-hmm. gaps and i think currently our second founder uh chris he oh no, first founder basically this yes. is two of them yes. there uh chris uh is uh the ceo of Papercut, and um you see you see that still happen mm-hmm. and you know i think that is um that is also a difficult thing because you really need to make sure there's that the context mm-hmm. and sort of being able to make decision comes what what you were saying mm-hmm. there, Andrew, you know, from kind of having that experience and it sort of becomes almost like an intuition, right? Sort of a gut instinct because mm-hmm. you know what feels right. But how are you able to really uh, codify that and sort of really make sure that people have the right context? Because that's another thing where, especially when you want to uh, create an environment where you're empowering your people and uh, you know, I, I guess uh, we spent um, a lot of effort in uh, on recruiting and making sure we bring uh, smart, brilliant, motivated uh, people who want to make a difference. But again, that is not enough. Uh, you need to make sure they're they've got the right context uh, and sort of the clarity and understanding, uh, because otherwise uh, you're setting them up for failure. It'd be very difficult for them to make uh, to make a call. And again, it's okay to make mistakes. Of course, that's how you learn. But, uh, you know, ultimately, um, you won't really um, see people succeeding if they, if they don't have that context, because they will never really have that sort of journey that a founder mm. has, no, has had don't. sort of yeah. learning it from, yeah. from, from the beginning. Providing as much context as possible will help anyone in any situation, mm-hmm. especially like in a tech team. If you ask someone to do something, they don't have the context around it. They don't know why or what or how it's yeah. meant to work. And it's the same, for, like you said, for making a decision. 
And yeah, as you said, like it, it feels like it's intuition just because you've done it so many times as a founder, but you've got yeah experience which builds the context for you, mm-hmm. which other mm-hmm. people can't get. So you have to figure out how to share that with people yeah. and provide that to them in a way for them to understand. Because mm-hmm. if yeah. you if you can't explain it to them in a way that they understand, they they still don't have the context, even though you've explained it. <laughs> That's so true. On, yeah, on context, is, yeah, like, so what are some of the strategies that you've implemented to pass the context around? the business strategy structure and how we should be doing business. You mentioned a couple of things around um, some of the, the key things that you do from a company perspective in terms of your values and what you stand for. So what are, how have you done that in business and what are some of the learnings there? Uh, all right, let me have a think. I guess uh, there's uh, there's a few there's a few things and, you know, I'll just try and, I guess, um, keep it really practical yeah. so that, uh, you know, perhaps something that people could do, could do themselves um, in their, you know, consider, I guess, implementing in their own businesses. Um, there's, um, well, firstly, uh, say with our values and principles, there's an element of making sure that that's um, reinforced through um, uh, all different things that we're, that we do. So, you know, for example, you won't actually find our values or principles on any of the walls in our offices, even when we were in the office. Because I guess the whole point was making sure that's not something that's just plastered on the wall, but that's, you know, not that there's anything wrong with anything on the walls, but the whole essence was around uh, making sure that we really leave them. So, for example, that isn't built in our uh, recognition um, initiatives. And, and when we do recognize people going above and beyond uh it's always linked to our principles and values uh, in terms of how we evaluate performance. We don't only look at um, how the person is delivering and whether they're performing, I guess, in terms of achieving the outcomes, but also are they really living and breathing uh, paper cut values and principles? And ultimately, if uh, I guess, uh, you know, yes, maybe they're delivering great results, but actually they're not doing it in a way that's aligned to our values, then the individual mm-hmm. wouldn't really be considered as performing. Mm-hmm. Same when we look at promotions, that is always a really big component within within that as well. So I guess that's what we sort of some of the things we do from that kind of uh, mindset and, you know, company core mm-hmm. um, around how do we become a paper cutter, uh, so, yeah. so to speak. In terms of other uh, things around building context, um, we've got a few different initiatives. One of them, for example, is um, we do job swaps. Um, so that means that uh, people have an opportunity to swap into different into different roles mm-hmm. to help. Um, in, it sort of serves, I guess, two uh, two purposes. One is it really helps you build that uh, breadth and that context. So, for example, I myself swapped into one of our um, uh, dev teams uh, a couple of months ago into a product type role okay. and worked alongside our product manager and sort of attended, uh, you know, and was basically part of the team and, and got to do stuff. And that was super helpful. We've had our uh, leadership team um, swap into different areas of the of the business as well. So they get that they get that sense. But basically, it happens in all different parts and anybody can really do that and we've also had uh, folks swap into uh, different roles and then over time actually transition into that area so we've had someone in our technical support team who did a swap in marketing and then a few uh, you know it, a few months later then opportunity opened up and they actually now are in digital marketing role <laughs> so you know like a completely yeah, different that's, that's uh, very sort of, interesting yeah I find that quite um, I find that you're doing quite a few varying um, very interesting things and you're testing different things at paper cut and I don't, I found that yeah in terms of when we had that conversation just that different level of thinking um, it's pretty cool mm-hmm. I think aligning values and principles to um, how you address performance I think is uh, quite um, quite clever because then at least people are going to put some focus and attention on it and it doesn't end up that uh, paper on the back of the wall because it becomes a part of whatever it might be, that that uh, quarterly check-in or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it does become a part of the process. So then the focus goes to it. Um, and I imagine that comes into the coaching program in some capacity. So it's all bringing it all together from a, a jigsaw puzzle. That's right. Mm-hmm. We also have part of even embedded, I guess, even mm-hmm. on that really practical level as part of our 360 uh, surveys, which um, 
um, anybody can kick off for themselves. That is not part of the performance uh, process. That's for individuals' growth. Uh, so that's not something that we would use to evaluate or, you know, kind of decide someone's salary increase, but that's to help you form your your growth uh, growth plan. But even within that, there is, uh, you know, the kind of the, the values and principles uh, um uh, stipulated it and sort of I guess help people see oh okay like I really stand out in this particular area or oh, this is probably where I could learn a little bit more around how to uh, how to approach this differently and things like that so absolutely and even in our language mm-hmm. uh, you know we try like it actually is, is used quite often where we'll talk about someone doing something and being like oh they really live this principle and this is kind of the, what outcome uh, that got to or uh, you know value um, so yeah you know, it's all. Um, I think you mentioned a holistic approach at the beginning, and I get that. Just talking through this, how it all comes together um, with the coaching, with the values, with the three sixty degree assessments, with the surveying, um, and you've mentioned um, to me a little bit uh, when we're having a conversation around um, uh, assessments across your peers. How does that sort of assist with this sort of level, and what does that do for the business in terms of? Um, I think some people might find that a little bit confronting, but how does that how does that um, work within the business? Yeah, and look, I mean, our people absolutely have found that uh, quite a bit confronting, yes. especially at the beginning mm. as well. And uh, again, we approached it as an experiment mm. at the start. And uh, to be completely honest with you, we sort of um, there were a couple of reasons why we did this, but we also mm. uh, almost had to because. Um, when we moved to a more flexible initiative model, mm-hmm. that meant that uh, you don't necessarily have that traditional role of a people manager, uh, you know, where traditionally you've got a people manager who sort of has all these hats where they um, would be usually sort of, I guess, uh, doing a bit of a project management type, like making sure that uh, there's work lined up and then blocking their team and all of these things. They do the growth and, and, and then they also do the performance. There's almost like a little bit of a conflict of interest there too because mm. if you're coaching someone on the growth, they might not feel as comfortable to be vulnerable because they think, well, you're also going <laughs> to then decide my performance yeah, and sort of my pay. Yeah, might hold them back from actually sharing. Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah, and a lot of research um, talks about that bias as well. And, and actually, when we looked at um, at the research, it did say that uh, trying to, although we're all inherently biased mm-hmm. always, um, but uh, there's two things you can sort of do, I guess, to minimize that. And one is to uh, get feedback from more people. Mm-hmm. So then the, the I guess the average outcome that you get uh, will be more accurate. And then the second one is try to minimize subjectivity as much as possible. So uh, the way we've we've gone about it, then we've introduced this concept of what we call a peer sentiment survey. So every few months, um, our paper cutters nominate the people that they work with, um, and uh, they get asked four questions. Now, this survey is specifically only for determining once performance. So it's not a growth oriented one. So it doesn't have rich context or any of that. That's what you've got your three sixties for, where you work with your coach and um, you know, I guess that's handled separately. So this one is specifically designed to be quite quick and easy because we didn't want this to become a burden where people then spent hours having to complete some of these uh, some of these surveys. But essentially, the whole idea is that by the end of the year, you'd have feedback uh, from I don't know, you'd have sentiment from say thirty mm-hmm. thirty. You have thirty different feedback touch points, and from there, uh, we can we can. Uh, uh, I guess reasonably assume that the the overall sentiment would be an accurate representation of what one's performance um, level is. And when we ask these questions, they're all tied to our career levels. So we try to make sure, and I guess try to do as much as we can around educating our people around biases, but also the importance that you look at the career level of the individual rather than just thinking, oh, well, they're a nice person. They, uh, you know, we enjoy having a beer after Mm. work or something. So I'm going to rate them uh, really highly. And also instilling into the team that um, it's our, uh, it's accountability of us, of us all. So the whole system will rely on us being honest and, uh, you know, taking this uh, seriously. And um, uh, we had surprisingly, uh, it was quite an interesting um, journey because initially people were really confronted and, and sort of didn't understand it. But 
once we've gone through the process of explaining it and trialing it and experimenting with it, um, we received so much positive feedback because there was a lot more transparency around how these decisions are made. People get access to their feedback so they understand um, you know, why their performance rating may be, you know, a, a certain way. They get to see their results. Um, they completely understand the process. We've also been very transparent in sharing how that all contributes to one um, to one salary increase, which is also, I guess, not something that companies traditionally do. But one of the feedback that we were receiving consistently in the past that that whole process was sort of a bit of a secret and people didn't really understand. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess we really tried to make sure that at least we bring as much transparency and openness mm -hmm. as we can to the process. And whilst, uh, people sometimes may not be happy with the outcome, at least they fully understand how that was determined. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that fairness aspect, mm -hmm. um, is, um, enhanced through, through, through that transparency and, and visibility. Um, and again, you know, we still have some people who, uh, don't like this process even right now, you know, and I guess there's always that element where you will never please everybody. You can't. Uh, but right. holistically, yeah, mm. yeah, I agree. But holistically, we have had a much more positive feedback around mm -hmm. our, um, you know, performance and sort of salary review process okay. uh, over the past 12 months since we've introduced this compared to what, what we've had what we've had before but again there were a number of things there there's the transparency mm -hmm. there's the system there's the taking people on the journey and experimenting we took a lot of feedback from our people throughout it as well so it's been evolving quite a lot and i guess people feel heard that it's not necessarily just something that we do and we don't care in terms of um what what people are feeling and, and kind of trying to evolve it um as as we go i think but one of the advantages that you have is you then give them an outlet to work with a coach and evolve and, and look and explore as to why some of the feedback is what it is, positive, negative, or indifferent. Um, yeah, so you're not just providing a, a survey down people's throat and giving them no ability to maybe reflect on it and help them through the process of improving that as well. So I think, once again, that holistic approach makes a lot of sense in the way you're approaching things. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, you know, again, it was quite interesting where initially there was a bit of like, oh, well, I don't get any context here. And this is where we had to help work through that with the teams of, okay, well, if you want to know more, your growth is, um, is, is, is up to you. It's sort of like you choose your own journey and choose your own adventure is kind of, I guess, how we approach it at Papercut, that our job is to make sure that we provide the tools, the support and the clarity um, and then it's up to you wherever you want you wherever you want to take it. And uh, because again, some people uh, really want to grow, others are really happy doing a really good job what they're doing. Um, and uh, both are really important. And uh, I guess making sure that people don't, I guess, feel the pressure of of sort of moving in a particular direction is something that is helpful there um, as well. And yeah, you know, someone might look at their results and think, oh, okay, I really want. Uh, to understand this more so then they'll go to their coach they'll kick off 360 uh, and sort of take it take it from there and on a practical perspective you mentioned there's only four questions what 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 are you covering in four questions it doesn't seem like <laughs> a lot to me and i can understand why people might be concerned about the context because yeah what are, what are the what type of questions are you asking in four questions so um this actually was taken from, um, and we again evolved the questions over time a little bit, but uh, there was, um, Deloitte was trialing um, uh, this type of approach a few years ago, and there were quite a few articles and, and, you know, a bit of research, I guess, explanation around why those particular questions. So this is initially where the idea came from. But essentially, the four questions that we have, so the first question is around, um, uh, I don't remember exactly how it's frame, framed, but it's uh, around when uh, I have the uh, the requirement for um, the skills of this uh, individual, I would want them on my team. So uh -huh. it's kind of around the whether people would want to work with that person. And it sort of incorporates, I guess, a couple of things. There's the performance aspect, but also what we talked about earlier. If someone is not necessarily, maybe they're performing well, but they're incredibly difficult to work with. That's a warning sign. So you want to make sure that uh, I guess we're looking at that. And then there's a question around values and principles that the person uh, leaves consistent um, consistent to, the, to them and, and kind of acts and behaves. There is a question around um, 
performance um, in terms of whether the person is at risk of low performance and whether they need any help and support. Uh, so this is, I guess, that the flagging question around, okay, do we need to delve into a little bit more here and explore? And if there are uh, a number of responses that are indicating that we should. We wouldn't. We wouldn't just sort of say, "Oh, well, this person is not performing." That's when we'll we'll um, explore this more and get more in-depth feedback and mm-hmm. understand the context and work with them to to help them. Uh, and then the last question, and that one has changed uh, quite quite a bit. Uh, but the sort of I guess the most recent evolution is if that person was at risk of leaving, whether Papercut should try to do everything uh, we can to to keep them. So. This one, actually, I'm pretty sure Netflix has a very, very similar question. I guess we always uh, look at what different companies and, and uh, uh, what what's working and what people are doing and then trying to kind of adapt and, and learn from it. But the essence of that question is trying to help us identify, um, you know, whether that is uh, that individual is someone who might be, I guess, really overperforming and someone who, um, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, Someone, if, if they were at risk, whether we should really fight really, really hard. And you know, no, it to, makes sure there's, there's simple questions, and you mentioned you don't want to overwhelm people with like a 360 degree questionnaire because they can take a bit of time yeah. to do, but that sort of questionnaire can be done in 30 seconds, really, um, which is what it needs to be. But it gives you a lot of information um, around more about right. how the person is engaging with the team, delivering with the team. Um, there's plenty in that. And I think, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense in terms of the way that's sort of approached. It's an interesting one also when we looked at uh, the research and kind of the biases that come into play, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, a lot of what was talked about in there was that when you um, actually try to structure the questions in a way that forces the person to think about, uh, I guess, the real life scenario, they'll be more accurate than if you were to, say, ask them to just rate someone's performance. Because mm. we had some individuals saying, why wouldn't we just ask that? And it was quite interesting um, uh, how then when you look when you, when you look at the findings and it actually says yes. that when, when you do ask that sort of question a lot of our personal biases come in and um we're not we we think that we're being accurate but we're actually not not at <laughs> yeah, all I find that interesting um, yeah that's good research and they're black and white questions right what you're asking it's either yes or no mm-hmm. it's no gray area in that there's no maybe there um and i think yeah that Correct. puts people on the spot to actually make a call and i think yeah make a decision on that think yeah. about think about it properly to answer it as best yeah. as you can that's right. Yeah. Nope. So yeah, we've you've covered like the the whole holistic approach, and there's there's so many things there to is. take away from there. Um, a lot of our audience is like startups just starting their journey and potentially starting to build their team. What are some key, say, three things that they should start focusing on when they're starting to build a team to get that cult that high performing culture building along with them? I think number one, I would say, is try to codify early that sort of essence of your business and. It doesn't, it's going to evolve. Like it's okay if it changes over time. But I think trying to really uh, think through even instilling those things like some of these values um, and also, I guess, a little bit more around what type of business you really want to be to kind of provide that clarity to to people uh, quite early, I think is is really important. Um, The second one, um, I guess, would be around, again, as, as you start, to grow and, and sort of move from that, you know, four people in the same room to sort of looking at, at, at kind of, I guess, different different teams and, you know, think about how you can ensure that that context is being shared and don't underestimate and don't underestimate the value of investing the time um, in that. Um, and look, the third thing, and it's kind of, I guess, a really simple one, but um just ask the people, maintain that uh, sort of feedback culture and try as, as best as you can to not to not lose that. Again, when you're a startup, it sort of just happens naturally. But as, as you're growing, make sure that you keep those feedback mechanisms really open uh, because people always know best, uh, I guess, in terms of what they need and what's uh, what's working, what's not working, and, and, and then trying to um, trying to make sure that that is something that even though the feedback mechanisms will evolve over time, but kind of, I guess, making sure that that's, that's, um, that's open and that's there um, and listen, listen to that feedback. I think yeah, there's some key things there to follow. Not very difficult to try and 
start yeah. in your business. It's like anything, and it starts, evolves over time, and you keep adding little pieces as you go. Um, and it's, it seems 100%. like it's a very iterative process that you've taken on, not only from tech perspective, but in the way you manage your people, your culture, your business, which is what we all need to be doing in business because it all evolves and grows and changes. And yeah, circumstances change as per last year that can completely um, impact yeah. businesses in ways we've never seen before. But we can't really prepare for either. If you've got that innovative learning culture and that mm-hmm. mindset of, of growth and we can get through this and we might think of different ways to do things, um, that's where you really need to be in business. If you've got the place that if you're in business and just doing the same thing for the last 20 years um, and that, that something like that happens, it's very difficult to shift. The one thing that I would say, and it's probably one of the kind of the most important thing and kind of the key one is that my mantra is always we can always make it more complicated. And Mm. I think when you're a startup starting to grow, there sometimes is that element of, oh, my God, we just need to now suddenly build all these structures and these roles and, I don't know, Mm -hmm. progression frameworks and a whole bunch and bring in all these tools and systems. And actually, again, like same as how we do in, in, you know, software kind of start small, mm. start small, and you can always build uh, build on it. But starting small and, and seeing how that works and, and iterating and adjusting is probably the most <laughs> the most important thing as, as you scale and as you grow. Yeah, we can overthink things, right? And just, yeah, I think that's a fair takeaway for anyone that's in that sort of growth um, phase, yeah. One one of these things will start adding and on top of each other, and you'll learn from that. Um, throwing everything at it at once might be a bit overwhelming for everybody in the business and to manage anyway. Um, so, Julie, it's been a, it's been a great conversation around um, building high performance teams and some of the things you're doing in Papercut. And I'm sure if we spoke to you in a year's time, there'll be some new little twists and turns that are, yeah. that are going on and what you're doing. Um, really appreciate you coming on and talking about what you've done in Papercut and what what you're evolving into um, as a business and how you're managing team and growing team. And um, it's been a really a fun chat. So, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, have a great day. It was a pleasure. And if anyone wants to learn <laughs> learn more about Papercut and um, yourself, how might they reach out and um, get involved with a business like yourself that's growing and looking for probably some great people to come on board? Uh, absolutely. Uh, definitely check out our website, uh, papercut.com. Uh, pretty straightforward. We've got a careers page there and talking a lot about, I guess, what it's like to work at Papercut and uh, any open career opportunities as well. And uh, Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn um, as well if uh, anybody wants to, I guess, know anything more. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. You too.